Before we begin today's message, just a quick look ahead. For the last couple of months, I've been going kind of week to week with the messages. That if there was one theme, it was basically kind of the various aspects of dealing with the pandemic from, you know, from Scripture and from our lives and, and how best to do that in, in a lot of different ways. And so I've decided to go back to what I've done for years to go to a series. I think it's time we can move forward from that in, in a lot of ways. And what I prayerfully decided on was this title, Dealing With Your Stuff. We all got stuff, right? We all have stuff that we wish we could get rid of, and it's hard to let go. And, and that's kind of where this is headed. As we begin next week, we're going to look at things like sin, guilt, and shame. Your broken image of you. Your false image of God. Dealing with fear. Dealing with grief. And dealing with pain and suffering. I think if we're all honest with ourselves, all of those those words, those topics resonate somewhere in our hearts and minds that, yeah, there's some stuff there that, that I need to work on, and you're probably already working on it in some ways or don't know how to work on it. So, so prayerfully together, we're going to go to the Scriptures and, and find some, get, get some handles on this and see some directions that we can go in, in dealing with our stuff. And, and I'll describe this in detail next week. It, it comes down to that, that tagline, paying attention to what you're paying attention to. All right here. That's kind of where it begins, okay? So pray for me as I prepare for those messages in the coming weeks. When I asked the kids to talk about the egg hunt yesterday and share their story, there was a little bit of differences about the details. If you have an event, in fact, all of us probably have, events in our, in our lives, in our family that you remember from years ago, and maybe even not all that long ago, where maybe there was a fire or a fire in a neighbor's house or, um, or there was a flood or there was some kind of a, of a catastrophic event. And then when the family talks about it years later, do all the stories sound exactly the same? No, because everyone has their own perspective on that story. So, and, and you have some of that in the Gospels. There are differences in the Gospels. However, we don't have to, to look at the Gospel record of the resurrection of Jesus as, well, it kind of looks contradictory on the surface, but ah, there's nothing we can do about it, and it's okay. Well, I'm here to tell you there is. And I gave you that outline today to, to show you one of the ways that you can, you can see taking the four written records of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and weaving them together to show that they really do flow well when you understand a few things about the story and, and about the time involved, about the distance traveled, and, and, and things like that. So I, I want to kind of jump into one verse to give an example, and we'll come back to that one in a moment. So the Basically, the closing chapters of the Gospels is where you'll find the stories of the resurrection, except for John, he has one more after that. But we have here um, in, in Matthew chapter 28, we're going to go to the, let's go to the eighth verse and listen to what it says. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to his, and ran to his disciples 
Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. We'll stop there. Now, as you read that, it sounds like the women were talking with an angel. They turned around. Suddenly Jesus is there. As you read that. Well, it doesn't have to be that way. In fact, when you think it through, why would Jesus come to them in that moment? They just had the shock, and I mean shock, of seeing an angel and talking with an angel. They're sort of getting their wits about them, and the angel had good news, but what do we do with it? How do we react? Who do we go to? What was that message they said to give Jesus? They're, they're sorting this through in their hearts and minds, and then Jesus is there. Boom! It says suddenly doesn't mean immediately. It just means when the moment came, it was, bam, there's Jesus. It could have been five minutes later. It could have been half an hour later. So what I'm trying to say is it is an indefinite period of time. So that is, is one of the key points in weaving together the stories of the resurrection that we have in Scripture that um, on the surface sound like they, they contradict each other. And, and they, they really don't. So let's, let's walk through this, and I'll, I'll help you through. I was joking with uh, Linda last night, and Lee and Johnny are here, and I said, hey, guys, is there, a, is there some way that I can show this on the computer where I have these people moving back and forth so I can show the movement where they are? And they kind of looked at me, and I said, the other probably is, but we don't have it, and I don't know how to do it. And I'm sure there is some app for that somewhere, but... I'm not that good, and I would have spent all night trying. So I hope that this verbal explanation and these notes that you have will, will be sufficient for today. So, the moment of the resurrection. Now, in Matthew 28, verses 2 to, two to 4, it says, There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Now, um, that is looking back. The previous verse is Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Keep that in mind. Two Marys, okay? They were getting up to go to the tomb. And then Matthew, as, a, as the, the narrator of the story says, kind of by the way, before they left, what had happened to the tomb was this, okay? So verses 2 to 4 already happened before verse 1. Do you see that? Okay, that's an important little, little, little note as well, all right? So... This was the moment of the resurrection. Do you know who saw that? Guards. That's it. No disciples. None of the disciples' friends or none of Jesus' family. None of these women that are going to be there shortly. No one saw that, but the guards did. And they were freaked out. And they passed out. But when they came to, they remembered. They remembered why they passed out. And they ran. And, and we'll, we'll come back to that in a few minutes, but keep in mind, the only people who were eyewitnesses to the moment of the resurrection were the Roman guards, which is interesting because at the cross a couple of days earlier, when Jesus died and gave up his spirit, and there was an earthquake, there was an earthquake here, it was a Roman centurion at the cross who said looked up at Jesus and said surely this was the son of God so here is this mighty empire who has the boot of Israelites the neck of Israelites under its boot for all these years and yet their agent their representation at the cross acknowledges this is the son of God at his resurrection are two more guards from this empire and an earthquake comes again 
and they run and flee because the authority of Jesus Christ, of the Christ in him from God sent to us is greater than any earthly authority, is greater than any earthly empire, is greater than, greater than any emperor or king or president or anyone else in authority. And so there's an authority thing happening right there. So this was step one. Now the second one then is Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, as mentioned here in, in Matthew 28, went to the tomb. Now, they got there first. So when you read some of the other accounts, it sounds like Mary and, and Mary Magdalene, these other people, came in one big group. It doesn't specifically say that. It just says they all went. So both are true, but it appears pretty clearly when you start pulling these stories apart a little bit that the first two Marys got there first apart from the other women. That's a really key factor, okay? They got there. Jesus had already arisen. The guards had already dashed off to look for the chief priest. There was no one there, including Jesus. However, they didn't go into the tomb. They just saw it, and they didn't know what to think. Mary Magdalene's first thought was, I got to go. I mean, I got to go find the disciples. I mean, now, they didn't go there that morning expecting to find the resurrected Jesus. They didn't go there that morning thinking, he promises he's going to come back to life, and I'm going to, be, I'm going to sit there and watch, and I'm going to cheer when it happens. No, they went there to take his body and prepare it for embalming because they couldn't do it the day before on the Sabbath. So between Friday night when Jesus died and that morning was the Sabbath, and Sabbath law would not allow for any kind of burial or funeral or any of that. So you had to wait until that morning. And they wanted to get up early before it got hot. They wanted to do it right away. That's why she was there. And she gets there and the tomb is empty. So she and the other Mary, they go to the disciples. Now, keep in mind in the story as well, you've got all morning. What time did the sun come up today? Six. I was up pretty early. The moon looked great this morning. It was, it was neat. The moon was setting, the sun was rising. But um, if you're getting up really early, you have a long morning. So there are hours for these things to take place. When you read it again, it feels like boom, 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 boom. The disciples, for another factor, were in hiding. Why? Because they were afraid that they too would get arrested and beaten and worse yet even crucified because they were followers of Jesus. They were the inner circle, the closest ones to Jesus. So they were hiding. And so did Mary Magdalene and the other women know where they were hiding? And if they did, did they want to rush right there and draw attention to it? Did, was, there, was there a secret code they had to send somebody? Did they make sure their, their heads were hooded over so no one would recognize them? See, there's little factors that, that, keep the, that slow down the pace of this story. So Mary leaves the tomb wondering where the body is. She's not thinking resurrection yet. Okay? <clears throat> and then the other group of women who had arranged with Mary to meet there, they get there. They see the same thing. However, unlike Mary Magdalene, they go in. 
And when they go in, this angel meets them and tells them what happened and tells them to, to you know, go to, go to Galilee and, and tell, excuse me, tell the disciples to meet Jesus in Galilee. You know, he, this, just as he said, he's risen. I said that again and again from in, in, uh, in the Gospel of Mark and the other Gospels. Toward the last several months of Jesus' ministry, he told them exactly what was going to happen when he went to Jerusalem for the Passover. He was going to get arrested, beaten, suffer, die, and rise again. But when those moments came, they forgot about it, they didn't believe it, and they were acting just like all of us would act. It, they felt sad, they felt overwhelmed, they were scared. And so these women were coming for that same reason. And now this angel told them what had happened. Just like Jesus said, he's alive. And they didn't know what to think. And so they leave the tomb to go find the disciples. Now they haven't even found Mary Magdalene yet, who they were supposed to meet there. So you have these different groupings and sets of people kind of wandering around, dismayed, confused, excited, but scared, all at one time. Mary Magdalene found the disciples, and she told them what happened. She just said, the body's gone. Peter and John got up and ran. Now, they weren't worried about hiding anymore, apparently, because they, they bolted. Now, the, the, the idea here is that John was much younger and much more um, athletic than Peter, and he could run faster. <laughs> Maybe he was just faster all around. I don't know. But So, Pete, John gets there first. But John arrives at the tomb, and like the wall's right here, and there's the opening. So John kind of goes, not sure he wants to go in. And he sees some, some linen strips lying there that had wrapped Jesus' body. He's, I don't know. Now, Peter being Peter, he's the impulsive one, remember? He, he's the guy, he's in the boat, and Jesus is walking on the water. Lord, can I come out there? Um, Jesus said, sure. All right, I'm there. Boom, and he goes out. And he put his foot in his mouth so often and, and that, was, that was Peter, Mr. Impulsive. So he's running to the tomb. Does he stop at the entrance? No way. He charges right in. Do you know what doesn't happen? There's no angel there now. Now, the women were there a few minutes ago, half an hour ago, an hour ago. We don't know, but earlier that morning. And he, the angel told the women what happened, but there was no one to speak for Jesus, and Jesus himself wasn't there, so they don't know what to think. So Peter and John come out of the tomb. Mary had followed them, but wasn't running. So by the time they get here, evaluate the situation, see what's happening, here comes Mary Magdalene, back to the tomb. And they probably just kind of ran right past her to go back to the disciples, and she's there what am I going to do? And she's upset and she cries and she doesn't know what's going on. And then Jesus comes. Now she doesn't know it's him right away. You can read about this in John 20 in detail. But she thinks it's a gardener and she asks, where's the Lord? Where have you taken him? What's going on? And he says a few words, and she doesn't recognize his voice. Now, there's something about the resurrected Lord where he could, he could kind of dis, um, disguise his voice or his own, maybe his own appearance in some way because he spent a long conversation that afternoon, later than the day, in the day, with two of the disciples who weren't named specifically, but two of them on the road to Emmaus, that's in Luke, and he talked for a long time, and they didn't know it was him until the end of the conversation. And so there was something he, he, could, he could change his appearance or his voice 
But at the end, they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt it was him. Now, it's important to note that it was him and it was physically him. There was a belief in the early church called Gnosticism that said, well, we kind of like the idea that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, but this whole bodily resurrection thing, that's too much to believe. So here's what happened. We think that Jesus just, just spiritually rose and looks like he's alive, almost like a ghost. That belief was circulating in the church. John in particular writes about that in his letters in the back of the Bible, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. That was the issue of that letter, that, that those people he wrote that letter to would not fall prey to that belief. Because John says, I touched him, I was with him. And in the record of the Gospels, you have, especially in John, you have Thomas. He wouldn't want to believe the news, right? What's he say to Thomas? Touch my scars. He was on the beach, and the disciples were out fishing. They came in, and he had breakfast for them. He ate with them. Jesus was physically resurrected. He didn't just appear to be. So this resurrected Lord is talking to Mary, but it isn't until he says her name that she realizes it's Jesus. There's something powerful about that too, isn't there? That, that, that God knows your name. It's not just that God exists and that God created the universe and the cosmos and the earth and, 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 and all the animals and the trees and the flowers and it's all beautiful and wonderful, but it's he created me. And you, and you matter to him. And he calls your name like he calls Mary's name. And there's something about, about that relationship that we need with God. At some point, we have to, have to hear with our spirit that he's calling your name. That you matter to him so much that he went to that cross and rose again. And that's, that was that moment for Mary. And she dropped to her, his feet and bowed down. And he, he said a few more things together. Again, that's in, in, in John 20. But here's where we get back to that, um, that, that division. I actually should have said Matthew there. I'm sorry. But um, it, it says how between in that ninth and 10th verse of Matthew 28, where the women had, well, let's see what happens next. Remember, the women saw the angel, but they hadn't seen Jesus. So they're still at the tomb. It's Mary, Magdalene, and Jesus. Mary runs back to tell the disciples Jesus goes to find the other women. Okay? They were somewhere on the way, lost. I don't, I don't know. They were, it, it was, and, and Jesus could, could remove himself very quickly. That was the other thing about the, the, the resurrected Jesus. He was physical, but he could also, you know, all of a sudden pop into a room. So that, that, was, uh, that was a cool thing he could do, like a beam-me-up Scotty kind of thing. But again, that doesn't mean he wasn't the physical Jesus. We have to remember that. But... He gets to the other women now who had not yet seen him. Then he speaks to them. They have a similar reaction to Mary. They, they drop down at his feet. They're excited. He tells them, go back and tell the disciples. So what you have at that moment is whatever amount of time passed between the moment Jesus spoke with Mary and the moment he spoke with the other women, they are all heading back to the disciples again. Mary had been there once to tell them the news about the empty tomb. Peter and John came, looked, ran back. So all the disciples are back where they were. And the women, including Mary Magdalene, 
reported, report their meeting with Jesus to the disciples. So there was two meetings with Jesus, but one with Mary, one with the rest of them, and they told the disciples. Why did God do it that way? Why did God not, not go directly to the men that, that Jesus spent three years with? Why did he appear first to the women? And there's a lot of reasons for that. I think it was testing the disciples' faith. Were they going to believe the story? Because you know what? That was their challenge in the years ahead. They were going to be eyewitnesses in a few moments of the same Jesus that the women just spoke about being alive. And they were going to go into a skeptical world, a world that doubted, a world that thought it was crazy to believe that a God could die, let alone rise again. And, and they were going to realize that among their own people, the Jews, there were going to be doubters and skeptics. Among the Gentile world, there was going to be doubters and skeptics. They themselves, in that moment, were doubters and skeptics. They weren't sure they could believe the news. And the other reason I believe is that women in that culture, now in, this, in our world today, in our culture, there is still way too much men have the higher position and more power. It's gotten better in some ways and worse in others. And, and I'm, I'm a father of four daughters, so... Um, I guess that, makes, that allows me to know what I'm talking about on this issue, right? I have a lot of women in my life, okay? Um, I'm not saying women are horribly oppressed in our country. What I'm saying is there are some advantages men still have that women don't. Now, at whatever level that is and whatever you believe it to be, to be or have experienced, take that level and multiply it 100 times, I don't know. That's what it was like to be a woman in Jesus' time. So Jesus is sending a message to the lost world saying, the, you have to remember those that are put down. You have to remember to those who are in the, the inferior position, to, the, to those who are not being treated justly, not being treated equally. And he sent the message, the greatest news of all time, that the Son of God who died on the cross is alive. He first entrusted that news to the women. And he could have sent the angel to the guys. He could have had the angel appear in the tomb. He could have stopped them as they're running back and forth, at least Peter and John. And he didn't because he wanted to test their faith. He wanted them to see what it was like to have others try and believe a message when you're not sure you trust the source. And these women had done a lot. It says in, in Luke, I forget what chapter, but um, Mary Magdalene and other women, um, to a large degree, funded... The ministry of Jesus. They, like, like they took their means. The guys were out doing gospel work. They're not making money. And they all had to eat. They all had to have a place to stay every night. Who took care of that? The women did. A little, little fact that's lost in the gospels too often, I think. So the only ones that had seen Jesus were the ladies. And the men had to decide if they were going to believe it. Now the Romans were the other ones that did. Those soldiers once again. They went to the high priest. They didn't go to their commanding officer, their, um, their superior officer in the military. Um, now, I don't, I don't know about military rules today, but you can get in trouble when you don't follow an order. And there's, I'm sure there's varying degrees to that, depending on the severity of it or whatever, but there's basically you disobey an order, you can be in trouble. Well, or if you don't succeed in the order you carried out, and you should have succeeded. So their order was pretty simple. All right, you guys, I want you to guard this guy. All weekend. And by the way, he's dead. So this shouldn't be a problem for you. So 
Now, they knew what was at stake. The Romans didn't care, but they knew that the Jews did. And, and so the, the chief priests and the hierarchy of the Jews said, look, his disciples might try to concoct a story about a resurrection by stealing his body in the middle of the night and then say he's risen again, you know, hide his body somewhere, dump it in the sea, you'll never find it, and go on with that. So that's why they guarded the tomb. Now, these guys took that order seriously because if they fail at their duty, it's their life. That's why they didn't go right to their commanding officer. They went back to the chief priest. Look, guys, we were there all night. I swear we didn't fall asleep. And, and then there was this earthquake, and there was like an explosion, and there was light, and there was a guy in white, and he was glowing, and he blinded us, and it just really freaked us out. Next thing we remember, we woke up, and it was empty. And these linens are all over the place, and the stones rolled away. What do we do? The chief priest made a lie. The chief priest decided that, well, if you don't like the truth, then make up a lie and keep saying it enough times until people believe it. And that's what they attempted to do. And, and so even when, when the disciples, after the day of Pentecost, and the Spirit came upon all of them, the preaching of the gospel started to happen throughout Jerusalem, they denied that he was alive. When you read Acts, if you remember the, the, when we were in the book of Acts last year, how the... The disciples, the apostles, when they preached, they always emphasized the resurrection of Jesus. It wasn't just the love of Jesus. Yes, it was his love. It was love that, that brought him to the cross and brought him out of the grave. But they never failed to mention the resurrection. And again and again, these same chief priests who made up this lie with the guards so they saved their necks, just kept denying and denying and denying and went to their graves denying. Now, maybe they didn't. We don't have any story of that in the Bible. It would be nice to think that at least a couple of them on their deathbed thought, you know what, I've been walking around with this lie about Jesus for all these years and I have to confess and repent right now. And, you know, maybe we can, if we see any of them in heaven, then we'll know. We'll talk to them and ask them about that moment. Are you focused on the surface facts of the story of the resurrection or the truthful meaning the story holds for you. If the kids knew who hid the eggs but didn't go out and get any, then the egg hunt itself did them no good. They just knew who hid the eggs. They experienced the purpose of the event. The resurrection of Jesus isn't just some historical fact that we can debate and, and look at in Scripture and see. No, they're really, the, the, the apparent surface inconsistencies are not that inconsistent. There are good explanations that see how the, floor, the story flows together. But if you don't take it down to the heart level, then it doesn't do you any good. It isn't just right here. It isn't just, yes, I'm going to believe logically that Jesus rose from the grave. That's actually an illogical thing to say because people don't rise from the grave. And yet we believe in faith that he did because faith isn't dependent on logic. It doesn't mean logic is absent from faith, but it doesn't stand on it. Faith does stand on truth. And the truth is Jesus is alive. And the eyewitnesses went out and told that story. Do you know that for the first several centuries of the church, 
in fact, a long way after that, most people, most Christians didn't have this in any form. A lot of them couldn't read anyway. Throughout the world history, most people, especially in poorer countries, didn't have education, couldn't read, so there's no point in giving them a book if they can't read it. So what did they depend on? People telling the story. The apostles, as, as these events were happening, Mark isn't sitting there taking notes. Luke isn't hanging around checking Mark's notes. Matthew isn't saying, uh, you got that wrong there, Mark. Let's, let's correct that. No, they weren't writing anything. They were experiencing the events themselves. And they told the story and they knew that it was true. And they knew that they knew that they knew and went out and told many, many people about this. And after a couple of decades, they realized we're not getting any younger. The church is growing. The church is, this story is spreading beyond language, beyond culture, even beyond continent. But you know what? We need to write it down. And so Mark took that upon himself to write it down, called by God to do so. And Luke wrote it down. And Matthew, one of the 12, wrote it down. And John, one of the 12, wrote it down. But the story is still what matters most. These pages are special. These pages are precious. But it's what these pages contain. The story that it contains. And the story that you can accept and believe in. Now let me close with this passage from 1 Peter. One of the eyewitnesses to this glorious day. Because eventually, Jesus came to those 12 people who were hiding. He came into that room, kind of appeared all of a sudden, that night. Sunday night, basically. And then they all knew. But let's go to 1 Peter 1, starting at verse 3. Now, th now think of this. This is Peter, one of the eyewitnesses to the reality that Jesus rose from the grave. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never... Perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept for you, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. How about a louder amen? amen? Amen. This is what it's about, people. This is, what, this is what the gospel message is, is that Jesus is alive. It's not just a story we tell like we tell fables. Okay? This is a real event, and it really was the most important thing that ever happened to anybody, and it can happen to you as you trust in him, the one who died and rose again for all, including you. Let's pray. Father, may your word go forth in our hearts and lives. And, and Lord God, help us to, to be honest with ourselves and honest with you about our faith and how strong it is, or maybe how weak it is. And help us to trust in you. 
not just on the words on these pages, but the story these pages contain that, that you sent Jesus Christ, the Son of God, into this world to live, to die, to rise again so that we can have hope. And may we live in that hope and believe in that hope. In his name, amen. amen.